Hey everybody, welcome back to Voices of Construction. This is Noah Baker, your host. Right now in Boston, going through a, quite the heat wave and a bit of a drought, um, but it will pass. Uh, past Friday, it's not supposed to be over 100 yet again, but anyways, to digress, um, on this episode of Voices of Construction, we actually have Eldon Perry, who is a PX over at Apollo Mechanical out of Portland, Oregon. Really great guy I met a while back at, at a conference. Really wanted to bring him on to not only talk about himself and his values and how he sees data analytics and different things affecting our industry, but also just that Apollo has done an amazing job of creating a culture of family and safety and, and won many safety awards. So definitely wanted to bring you some advice from him, his experience, great conversation, um, just all around really nice guy i think you guys will enjoy this one and, and definitely learn some things from it um as well as just talking about portland and and the the northwest in general and how that affects work-life balance so i just want to let you know uh here is eldon perry hey eldon how are you thanks for for jumping on i know we've we've had this in the making for a while um I really wanted to, to get you on uh, for a while now, solely after speaking to you a little back and forth in the past at, at TouchBlend Live and different different events and really just loving the company you work for. And we can kind of get into that, but I wanted to, to definitely give you the chance to kind of introduce yourself. I, I know all the way from, from the distant uh, history of, of being a framer all the way to where you are now and, and uh, Apollo with the account, the project executive, I just kind of wanted to, to hear your, your story and how you ended up where you are and how much you love it and how much further you're going to go. Awesome. Yeah, you've done some homework. It's been a long time since I framed. In fact, I just recently was uh, reminiscing on the lack of knowledge I still have in that category. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's dissipated because it's so far in the past. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I suppose I've been in construction most of my life indirectly. Um, and then, you know, once I flew the coop, if you would, I kind of got into construction more directly, uh, building docks, um, framing homes, kind of how I got myself through school. Um, went to school and graduated in construction management and uh, had a, there's a competition held every year for uh, Associated Schools of Construction in Reno, Nevada. And um, randomly, honestly, I ended up on the mechanical team. Um, and essentially, it's a competition where they give you a project and you pretend you're a construction company and you bid it and estimate it and do that whole jazz. And I ended up on the mechanical team. Um, and the company that was sponsoring the problem um, was holding interviews. And so it intrigued me enough that I held an interview, got lucky enough to, to land an internship with them. Um, and I suppose the rest is kind of history. I've been in the mechanical sheet metal slash piping world um, since. Now I'm in circa 2009. Um, and that's kind of where I, I got started. started with a pretty heavy, very large. I've kind of always been involved with very large projects. Um, even as an intern, I helped do a takeoff for a very large solar plant um, in Central California. Um, you know, that I think was a, back then it was a seven, eight, nine hundred million dollar job holistically. Our mechanical version was in the 35 to 40 million over about an 18 month burn. Um, and then from there, I kind of got into, um, into the high tech. I kind of ended up in the semiconductor manufacturing world, um, some biopharmaceutical, but uh, really any of the high tech manufacturing is kind of where I landed um, and where I've continued to work. Um, and you know, that just as, as time has progressed, I suppose I've always been somebody that's, that's tried to look for software that can solve problems. Um, I think construction is ripe for opportunity. Um, we're just a bunch of dumb construction guys, but when you show us a, a cool tool that makes our job easier, we often cling onto it quite drastically. Um, so, and that's kind of, you know, I suppose leads me today, I suppose, um, by title right now, I'm a project executive and just help the rollout of any of our large scale projects. Um, that kind of explains yeah. a little bit, I guess. 
No, awesome, awesome. And and you're in you're in Portland. Um, and where are you from? Um, I, I grew up in the Northwest, um, kind of bounced between Washington, Idaho, and Oregon. Um, spent most of my time in what I'll call the Portland area. Uh, you know. Vancouver, but when we say Vancouver, people think of Vancouver, BC. There's an actual Vancouver, Washington. It's in Southwest Washington, right on the border, right off the Columbia River next to Portland. So I would say I grew up generally in the Portland area. Western Washington, Western Oregon is where I've spent most of my time. Very cool. Yeah, no, I've been out there a lot. A lot of skiing, a lot of mountains, all all of that I do love. Um, One of the things I wanted to to definitely bring up and, and talk to you, and I think we kind of talked about this a little um, in one of our calls, but one of the things that that shines for me is is your current company. And and for all those who don't know, it's Apollo Mechanical. And and what I really got from them, and I can tell you're, you're on site too, or in the yep. office, which is good. Um, <laughs> work it. Um, but is, is this sense of, and I think you guys actually presented this at one of our conferences or something of that nature, is one, I, I would love to talk about something I see all over the industry, but really seems to be true and resonate with all of your employees and everyone I've spoken to, which is this kind of core value of family and, and ownership of the company and its its ideals and how you treat each other. Um, and the other is just taking a, a more holistic approach to to how you deal with your team, how you deal with your office versus the field and, and how you solve problems internally. Um, that, that I really kind of clinged on to because I, I feel like in our industry, there's, there's something to be said about how compartmentalized everybody feels they are. And they kind of force that as a value within their company. Like the guys out in the field do what they do, the guys in the office do what they do. And there's not that synergy. So I guess we can bite off one, one piece of it at a time. And it's that, that work-life balance. I remember having or hearing a conversation um, between you and, and one of my colleagues is just that work-life balance and, and the idea of not only your family and supporting the families for the people that work for Apollo, but also treating everyone that works at Apollo like family. And I would just love to hear kind of, does that resonate with you? Am I completely off base? Um, and how does that provide a work environment that is more productive and can really prosper in a way that I've seen you guys grow? Oh, good. It's nice to hear that somebody outside of us thinks that because maybe we actually do succeed a little bit at it. Uh, Apollo does have, you know, it's one of our core values. We consider it family. Um, And you're right. We understand that everybody has their own personal family and that often takes precedence over anything as it should. But internally, you know, I probably would stem from this. Um, We believe that relationships are key um, and that relationships even more so within your company and amongst the employees you work with or your coworkers is equally as important, um, right? And the essence of family is a functional relationship where you can live with the good and the bad. Um, you know, you can accept people for who they are. Um, and so Apollo strives very hard um, to create um, events, um, to create uh opportunities for people to get to know each other and to really treat each other as if they were, you know, your, your, your brother or sister or parents or, you know, whatever you want to insert as a, as an example. And it comes down to, I'll go back to the relationship, right? Creating relationships and construction is a known thing, right? It's, it's actually a very people industry or people related industry. Um, relationships really drive a lot of the success or the lack of relationships can drive failure. Um, and we really believe to build trust, to do a lot of the things that the industry requires to succeed from safety to quality to schedule production to budgeting um, requires trust, right? And trust, in our opinion, doesn't come without a relationship of some kind. And that includes a co-worker, you know, your coworkers in your field and your, you know, your fab shop and your, your upper management, lower management. Uh, all of that, to the word you use is great. The synergy required to make the company function requires trust, requires that relationship. And... So that's where the idea comes from, right? Uh, we, we come from very small, you know, if, you, if our company is oh, 1981, um, 41 years, if I'm doing my math right, um, started like a lot of companies, right? Um, humbly, right? It was a sheet metal worker that uh, seized an opportunity that, that continues to seize opportunities today. But a lot of the companies started in family, 
right? I mean, it's a, there's a lot of family that, that created this company as far as how it was started. Um, but more so the relationship side of it. We believe that relationship side of, of family is what makes our business function and it's what matters to us. Um, so hopefully that answers the question or at least in part explains why it's so big to us. We believe that, you know, to achieve safety, Apollo is one of the safest companies in our region. Um, and I, a lot of it, we believe, is due to the fact that we create working relationships with our employees. So when you go ask somebody to do something, if there's a basis of trust there and an understanding that you're treating them as a person and you, you get more... Um, you get more action, or I should say you get more earnest action, right? They're not just doing it because they're paid. They're doing it because they understand that, hey, you know, uh, John came and asked me to do this, and I know John pretty well, and he treats me pretty well. So if he's asking me to do this, there must be a real reason behind it. So I'm going to try to help him achieve whatever it is he's needing. Instead of the, you know, proverbial, well, you don't pay me for that job. So to do that, you have to pay me more. And that's where we believe the family atmosphere and the culture actually helps propel our company and maybe even create what we would hope is a competitive advantage vicariously. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and that's exactly where I was kind of going to go with this. And, and congratulations and kudos to you guys for, for being such a safe environment for people to come work and get home to their families too. Um, but do you, do you see that kind of, that, family, that trust, whether it's with your internal employees, with um, companies that you've hired out, whatever it may be, um, create more of a sense of accountability. And and I think you kind of touched on it, but I guess accountability might not be the best word, but I know that if I'm going to go do something that's risking my life for my brother or my best friends or the people that I work with here at TouchPlan, I'm going to have that in the back of my head as opposed to doing it for a stranger that I don't have a relationship with. And I think that says a lot where it's something that is so positive, really creates something that a lot of people use a hammer to, to create, which is that accountability. And you're kind of doing the exact, exact opposite where you're using more, a less abrasive environment to create better accountability. Would that be something you can kind of talk to or, that how you see that relationship going yeah uh, that's how i see it i'll throw the caveat out there we're not perfect right i'm not by any means trying to say we're you know we're perfect in what we do it's but it's definitely what we strive for and yes we believe that you know account the word we would use in our company that gets passed around a lot is extreme ownership um we're a, we're a big believer in extreme ownership in fact every new hire that gets <laughs> that gets uh, employed by apollo um, gets a new hire backpack and in it is a copy of a book that describes extreme ownership fairly well. Um, and, and we believe in that principle, right? We believe in, in extreme ownership often requires trust and relationships because no one person is capable of doing it all on their own. And so while we like to hold ourselves individually accountable that there's no one better to get something done than ourselves, um, it's also, you know, you got to have, you know, one of the principles I think I'll echo is is called check your ego and I think in creating a relationship and, and creating a family atmosphere helps you check your ego and recognizing that you do need help you can't do it all on your own um, and to create the proper relationship to help create the accountability is helping everybody understand that look I'm not out for me and you're not just out for you we're out that together we can make a better future for both of us if we can work together right I, I can help you succeed in your career path and you can help me succeed in my career path if we actually learn how to work together and we actually care about each other enough to, to be interested enough to know something about you um, a lot of new hires um, we personally challenge I, I mean I, this is something I personally do with any intern or, or new hire is I challenge them to go out in the field and to get to know something personal personable about some of the workers I want Tell me how many kids they have. Tell me what their favorite sport is. I want you to go out there and find something non-work related about that individual because it means more than just yeah. you're paid to go ask them if it's installed. They know that. So they naturally know that they need to respond to the question. But it's a different response you can get if they feel like you're, you care enough to know who they are. 
right? And there's there's the flip side of that, right? If you're disingenuous with it, you know, it can actually backfire on you. There's nothing construction people hate worse than a fake than a fake attempt to care, right? Uh, I would say construction is very good at sniffing that out. Um, I would I would have to agree with you being being a sales guy. Um, and having to talk to thousands of, of PMs and superintendents over the years. But I think there's also nothing can piss them off more um, besides one, the disingenuous curiosity into their their life, but also acting like you're the smartest guy in the room, uh, <laughs> which yeah. I, I am never. Um, <laughs> and and, and one, of, one of the things I, I kind of want to touch on too is um, we, we talk a lot on this podcast and I think it's something that's just coming to light. And I think you can shine some light on for our listeners is this, this idea of work-life balance and spending time with your family and having a good work environment has been shown to decrease safety incidents and, and have a better environment and a safer environment to work with. Do you guys address kind of that, that work-life balance and that same, critical kind of bracket of family and, and pride in what you're doing? Hmm. You know, I would, I would answer it like this, a work-life balance in really any career is most likely difficult, but I can speak to construction because it's what I live. It's hard. A work-life balance is something you have to strive for is, because construction can eat every hour of every day and maybe even ounce of energy that you have. Um, and we recognize that. I think that's the first thing we recognize is that our job is our, our clients needs. And I'll maybe even say, you know, the economy's needs that we service in construction um, require a lot from you, right? The, the, the pace and, and the need for quality and safety are, are daunting as far as its work. Um, but at the same time, we try to keep the principle of people work to live. They don't live to work. Um, and that, that matters, right? Thinking of it in that way matters. Um, I would say attack um, work-life balance by making sure people understand that nothing gets held. If, you, you know, if, if your son has a baseball game at 4 o'clock and you haven't been to a baseball game and you want to go, just let us know. Right? It's your game's at 1 o'clock whatever it is, um, let us know. We understand your, your, your job's not at risk because you have family endeavors to take care of, or maybe it's your mom is sick, or maybe your, you know, grandma's sick, or maybe it's your friend is going through a tough time and they need it. They need, you know, we try to remain fairly open and understanding that, Hey, life happens. Your job isn't at risk because life happens. Um, it doesn't change the ownership we expect of getting a job done, but at the same time, we, I think indirectly we tackle that by helping people understand that your job's not at risk for having life happen. Um, you know, your daughter gets in a car wreck and you got to go, you know, uh, it was several years ago. We actually had a superintendent whose, whose daughter's car was hit by a tree that fell on the highway um, and crushed the front of her car. And she actually had to go through a whole bunch of rehab. And he, you know, he had to take, you know, a decent amount of time off and even when he came back it was hit and miss as far as he was in and out and we made ways to work around that role and now he's back to you know he's full-time here all the time um you know you'd have to ask him on how much of an effect that made but i would say that helps people understand that we believe in a work-life balance it's to the individual to create that now if i'm to echo that i think as a company we create a culture that allows it to happen but the individual goes to extreme ownership the individual has to make the choice to make that balance um and we create a culture that allows that balance to occur. Right. Answers your question? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think you guys have done, again, to reiterate, I think you've done an amazing job at that because I, I've worked at many companies. I've seen many companies. I've, I've talked to many GCs. I've talked to many specialty contractors all over the world, all over the nation. And that, that is something hard to achieve, right? It's, it's very hard to instill company values or or common values on a new hire that doesn't necessarily believe in them and we we see that in technology startups all the way to where you guys are and if there was anything from you know hiring the right people to the process of instilling the, those beliefs or just like you said the action of getting to know someone 
there's that one piece of advice for for that that guy or gal starting a framing company or going into their their family business and wanting to make change we we all know it takes time and you guys have been around the block and you you've done a really great job of that but in terms of your day-to-day what would you say like the biggest piece of having a group that really truly has instilled those values because that's a very, very hard goal to get to in any company anywhere, right? And we've seen, I've seen it fail, I've seen it prosper. Um, but what would you say your one piece of advice for that person out there wondering how to kind of instill that or struggling with that would be? That's a tough question to answer. Um... That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, Mr. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> um... You know, it'll sound cliche, but a genuine approach. And I guess what I might say is, don't, man, how would I say that? It's got to be a genuine approach, which means it's got to be an approach that fits you. Don't, don't, you know, often in my, this is my opinion. um, You know, you can read a book or you can hear a talk or you can hear, you know, an excerpt from a radio show or whatever. Um. And try to emulate that, which is not a bad thing to do. Changing oneself is a good thing. But I think you have to accept who you are. And if you're trying to make approaches in somebody else's manner, it can come across as disingenuous, even though you may have a genuine intent. And so being yourself, I think, is key. Right? I think you got to be who you are. Um, now, that you've got to also treat people as people, right? They bring something to the table, and I think maybe that's the perspective. We try to look at everybody as ha- bringing something to the table. They have a perspective. They have a you know a, a different paradigm. Um, they have something they're good at, and recognizing that there is something they're good at, and what they're good at may not be what you're good at. Some people are really good with people. Some aren't. Um, some people are really good with specific tasks. You know, like a welder is really good at burning a weld. Uh, you ask him to go do paperwork, and he's not so good. It's not because he sucks. It's not because he's an idiot. It's because it's not his skill set. And so I think. Um, being yourself, recognizing who you are and and trying to be genuine in that, but then also recognizing that people bring something to the table. Um, more specifically, you know, I think in construction, there's, there's a natural, I don't want to call it natural, but there does seem to be a natural division between office and field. Um, it's, it's something that almost just exists based on the titles that are there, but I think one of the best ways we bridge that gap or really try hard to bridge that gap is understanding where people are experts, right? The field is experts in what gets done and how it gets executed. It's not on me to tell them the most efficient way to get it done. It's on me to help talk them through and just talk about what they think is the best way to do and how we can support them. How can I help solve their problems so they can get their work done? Um, and I think that's, you know, and then when you actually go do, I think the second half of it is you can talk a talk all you want until you do, people won't believe it. Um, so that'd be the second half, right? I'd say you got to be genuine, which in my opinion has to be to being who you are. Accept the fact that they could be better than you and be okay with that. And two, help solve their problems. And I think that's what helps you then create a better relationship with them. So that's, that's my off-the-cuff answer. Well, I, I guarantee we're making that into a sound clip. Um, no, but that, that's, that's, that's amazing. I think it's interesting because I, I think when we kind of had a, a prep conversation to this too, we were, we were ta- talking a bit about technology and, and where the industry is going. And it's interesting. A lot of what we've talked about is kind of human nature, being yourself, being the human that you are, um, finding compassion for other people, um, understanding your accountability to, to your peers a lot of that, and in my opinion, a lot of people feel that technology coming into the industry is doing away with that or, or somewhat inhibiting people from, from having that human connection here, you know, between AI and drones and, and companies like TouchPlan and all of these different things. Do you see this as a mix of helping achieve those kind of human in-person goals or inhibiting them um, and where the industry can find a balance moving forward because we're not going to stop technology 
we it can make us more efficient, right? But we have to stand our ground to continue to have a company culture like you guys have achieved at Apollo. So where do you see that that fine line of appreciating the humans that do the work and input information and are the best at what they do and kind of taking a little of that away or if we don't even believe it's taking that away um, when it comes to technology and where the industry is going? Well, I might go back to solving problems. Um, most people's bane of any job is the problems they have to face, right? Um, nobody hates a, a problem any more than the individual that feels like they're not empowered to solve it um, or not provided the tools to solve it. Um, and so I would say technology's balance often comes down to what problem is it solving and for whom is it solving the problem? Um, and I think I'll go back to relationships, right? So, you know, as a, as a manager, you know, I got one of those titles that naturally people hate or like, depending on who you are. Um, right. It's, oh, he's just going to come in here and tell us what to do. Another bookworm that thinks he knows how to solve a problem on a spreadsheet is how you'll hear construction. That's, that's the real construction thing, right? Oh, great. Another spreadsheet jockey. It's going to tell me how to do my job. Um, and it comes down to, okay, am I trying to solve my problem or am I trying to help solve their problems? In my opinion, I'm paid to solve their, to help provide them avenues to solve their problems, not to solve mine. Uh, I'm, I don't hire people to make my job easier, right? It's actually, I'd say the inverse. I hire people to help make somebody else's job easier. Um, and so I think technology and software needs to be looked at in those eyes, right? It's whatever your company is, whatever your, your problems are, right? Two mechanical contractors would have two very separate problems, despite that they may be in a very similar market sector. And it's because every company has different competitive advantages and things they do well and things they don't, and, right? They're on their own little path that they would. So I think it comes down to solving problems. If you're finding technology um, to solve problems, I think people um, become more accepting of it. And if they recognize that you're trying to help solve their problems and not always make something easier for you, once again, it comes down to that relationship. You've created a relationship with them where they understand that, hey, yeah, sometimes he comes and asks for some help that he needs, but most of the time he's coming and asking for how he can help me. Maybe I can help him this one time. Maybe it's okay for this to take an extra 20 minutes in my week to help him. He's helped me a lot. He, she, figuratively insert person here. Um, I think it's where that comes from, right? Now, that's not to say that um, there's not hiccups with that. There's lots of technology you go to a and solve a problem that, that, that that's not the shared perspective and sometimes it takes a little tenacious attitude and, and a little you know stubbornness if you would to help show that it does actually solve a problem for them um, but nonetheless I think it comes down to that I think it is that simple I think if you're looking at software to solve problems and to make everybody more competitive and good at what they do I think you get a better percentage of reception and approval yeah I, I've take... always had the outlook I'm going to say it doesn't take away the hard work. It doesn't take away the, the people problems you still have to deal with in implementing that technology, but I think it makes the path easier than, than it can be otherwise. Yeah, I've always tried to look at technology, especially in the construction industry, as an enablement tool, right? It's a problem you currently have and you fix it in a certain way. Can we enable you to fix that problem in a better way, a more efficient way, and not a complete problem solver or replacement for anything or anyone. Um, and being able to to look at it that way, I think, really helps the the idea and the growth and explaining it to people. It's like, this is just like how we, you know, we, we bought all those new actual hands-on tools or that equipment for you. And it relieves, you know, an hour of your day. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And I think calling it even a tool over technology is, is there's something to be said there as well. Um, but kind of on that note, you, you've been in the industry for a long time, and I think I ask almost everybody this, um, is, you know, we, we have wildly different opinions across the board, across the world. I mean, we've interviewed people that work from Antarctica to Portland to the UK, and the answer is always different. And and I, I would ask you the same question is, you know, where do you see this industry going in terms of how people think about it, um, how people 
do the work, how people bid the work. Um, are you pessimistic or, or are you excited about the future? And I think all of us in this industry kind of have to be excited about the future, but moving forward in, in the years that you've seen this kind of grow, where in the next five, 10, do you, do you see our, our industry? Um, well, there's multiple ways you can go with that. Um, where do I see us going as an industry of construction, maybe lumping in engineering and architects um, over the next 10 years? Um, man, I see data playing, you know, I'm a kind of a, a, a data guy, I guess. I believe data is going to help I think data analytics and, and AI is going to start playing a bigger role um, because a lot of construction is still very much um, experience. And I might even go gut based, right? It's somebody's somebody's experience that's telling you that, not which is not bad at all. I'm not downplaying that at all. I think that will never go away. But success of business and the success of really anything comes down to making good decisions. And making good decisions comes down to having good information. Right. Good information comes from two things, experience and data. Uh, and I think in construction, we're very good at leveraging the experience side of making or collecting information. I think we're pretty good at that. Or I should say we naturally lean towards that. I think data is something that's slowly starting to surface as a good complement to experience. Um, I've had, you know, to get into planning, I've had lots of uh, superintendents, general foremen, project executives, project managers, you, you run the gambit, foremen, journeymen even, right? come up with what they think the issues are for whatever the problem is at hand. And when we look in some of the planning and we start mapping some about, they start realizing that, oh man, that's not really our issue here. Um, you know, I thought it was actually going to be an issue of not being able to get the equipment here, but really it's going to be a, you know, a different issue. It's going to be, hey, it's actually the how spread out this is. It's going to be, how do we move this around? The logistics around this might actually be more complex than we thought. And a lot of that discussion comes because data is helping you see where you maybe not wouldn't have looked right um we're all human we can be wrong right experience isn't foolproof it's it's handy it's necessary it's a requirement for success but it's not the only and so i believe over the next 10 years i really do think data analytics and, and ai and creating correlations are going to start helping experienced people make better decisions um, that's probably the short answer i could give on it yeah no, I mean, I, I think I would, my my answer would resemble that almost to a T. And I always think about that, the same comparison that, that you made to experience versus data in the sense that convincing those experienced people to 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 buy a tool, invest in, in something that, that collects that data, to look at an, an AI tool, whatever it may be, is the most challenging on our end um, in the sense that it almost seems like you're challenging their their professional equity, right? If you know how to do something and you're the best at it in the company, you're not going anywhere, right? And I think the reaction we always get when we talk about, you know, data and analytics is is really a challenging conversation in the sense that it's it almost feels like, oh, you you wanna you wanna fire me. <laughs> kind of kind of conversation in the sense that oh you can collect all the data you want but you're still not going to know the things that I know. Um, there's there's no is... harder decision to make in construction, and really any business. I'll say any business. There's no decision that's more difficult to make than when the data says something different than the expert, and and you have to figure out what the middle ground is, and that's hard because you're right. The, the inevitable thought, whether consciously or subconsciously, from the expert is oh you want to replace me with a computer got it well and the reality is the opposite right it's like no we're trying to provide better information for the expert to make better decisions most experts right whether it's a competent welder competent detailer competent fitter competent electrician competent pm you list it competent executive you know if you if you're not challenging them directly they'll admit that they don't make perfect decisions and that, that at times they need more information but there is no more difficult decision to massage than when the data says one thing, but the experts adamant on another.
Yeah, I hear you there. And I think the analogy that I've heard and how to approach, you know, that expert with data and data tools is really, and I'll use a Boston analogy for all my New Englanders is, you know, Tom Brady didn't stop watching film just because he was brilliant at what he did, right? And and I kind of consider looking at data and looking at as-built data and, and looking at all of that really is just a way to perfect your craft and get better and better and have more and more professional equity in the company that you work with because there's not a football player in, in the hell <laughs> that, that doesn't sit down every evening at a minimum and, and watch film watch what they did, what they did wrong, what they did well, um, and, and improve from there. And would you agree that that is kind of the approach that, that you're explaining in empowering that, that expert to do something better? Absolutely. And, and I think most of them see that. Again, I'll go, I'll, I'll go back. It comes down to relationships and trust that have been building, right? If they know that you've worked with them for a while and that they understand that you're not coming from a, I'm tearing you down perspective, the relationship allows them to see it. And I can tell you from experience, I have a lot of superintendents that I consider very intelligent and they're very, they're very much an expert at their craft that over time have, they have some data points now they don't want to live without, right? Because it makes them that much better at making decisions and they see that. And I'll go back to the same thing. It comes down to solving a problem, right? An expert's problem often is making those decisions and picking the correct path. Right. All the way down to or all the way up, I guess, to a CEO. His job is to direct the company. And if you solve their problems, which in that case is, hey, how do I help my field succeed? I'm being if I'm a superintendent, I'm being relied on to make this project successful in both schedule and budget. And this data helps me do that. They will want that data. And I think you have to be humble enough to recognize when what you're chasing doesn't. That's why I'll go back to picking the right technology matters because it's got to be based on the problems you need to solve. If you're trying to implement, I don't know, but if you're trying to implement a search engine for a problem on how to produce welds faster, it's probably not necessarily the greatest place to start. Um, anyway, I, I can get lost in thoughts, so I'll just leave it there. Yeah, no, that's that's what this is all about. You're good. Don't worry about it. Um, so moving moving on to, I guess, something more, more fun, right? Um, you know, mo most people that, that come on these these kind of talks are all from different places in the world. And I, I would love to hear a little about your corner of the world and not only what the construction industry does, but what what you do when when you get off work and, and how it how it is living in, in Portland and the area outside of construction and how the how the city and how the area is changing as well. Well, I'll do a good job of painting a really horrible picture so less people want to come here. Um, <laughs> that might have been the most Portland thing to say ever. <laughs> it probably is. It probably is. Um, all right. Well, I mean, you know, in general, it's you know, funny. My sister and I were actually just talking about this because she just got back from uh, kind of doing a cross-country tour, if you would. She just did a big road trip for about a month from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, and first of all, I'll start by saying all my comments are biased because I live here. So I'll apologize ahead of time if I offend somebody. Um, the Northwest, and I'll just kind of more talk to the Northwest. The Northwest is very diverse um, in what you can do, right? I mean, there's not a lot of places you can snowboard and surf in the same day. Um, on top of that, we have a fairly mild climate. Um, you know, caveat to that, mild climate also comes with a lot of rain. Um, we don't get extreme heats. We don't get extreme colds. Um, you know, we maybe get snow once every other year in the valley. Up on the mountains, we get it all the time, which is kind of nice. You can get the snow if you want and get out if you don't. Um, there's just lots. You can play in rivers, streams, lakes, ocean. Um, you can hunt big game if you like hunting. Um, all that's right in our backyard. Um, so it's fairly diverse, lots of hikes, lots of kayaking. We're very, you know, that's, that's not a shock to anybody, right? The Northwest is probably kind of known as an outdoors uh, recreational area. Um, you don't deal with big bugs. We don't dig with hu big humidity. Um, you know, a lot of those things is what I'd say kind of breeds. We're very, there's lots of things we can do. 
you can go dirt biking if you like dirt biking, you can go horseback riding if you like horseback riding, and all that's within, shoot, less than an hour, depending on where you live. Um, I mean, skiing is an hour and 45 from me, and surfing is 50 minutes from me. And so, you know, I would say that's, yeah, I don't know, we were, it's kind of hard to describe that, but uh, it's also, you know, Oregon, and I'll say the Northwest, it's becoming more and more of a foodie place. Um, it's also becoming much more of a, a brewery-centric, like microbrews and all that jazz are pretty, I don't want but we definitely helped make the overall concept popular. Um, but we're kind of a foodie town. Um, yeah, you guys, little... you guys have a massive, in Portland, I know there's a massive kind of street food, street cart culture. Yeah, that the food cart movement of. is... And once again, I don't want to take credit for claiming because I don't know who measures all this stuff, but but food <laughs> carts are a pretty big deal. Um, you know, and what, I'll, what I'll say is that non-chain food is a big deal here. Um, people don't like, I'd say generally are, are, you know, if you were to take a survey, people enjoy going somewhere that's not a chain. They want to go to a mom and pop shop, if you would. They want to go to a food truck that only exists here. Um, and they... We, you know, yeah, my, my wife is actually not from this area and she calls me a food snob. Um, whether I represent the Northwest or not, I don't know, but you know, I like fresh fruit. I like fresh food. Um, more uh, vegans per capita than anywhere else in the world. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, More than likely. Um, (laughs) you know, so that's maybe the other half of it, right? Is you kind of have a foodie, foodie vibe. Um, but I'd say outdoorsy, right? I mean, I'm a little mix of everything. I, I really love sports, right? We're probably not as sports centric as other portions of the U.S. Probably because we don't have a lot of pro sports here, um, as far as diversity. Um, I'm trying to think of the actual pro sports here. We might, you know, I guess you got to count hockey and soccer. So, but anyway, we're not as we're probably not as sports centric as a lot of the other um, portions, you know, like California and the South and the East, Northeast, right? Um, Midwest, all that, are probably more into sports than we are holistically. Um, maybe it's because we're more outdoorsy, and I don't know. Uh, I personally enjoy motorsports of all kinds. Um, I love hunting. Uh, I enjoy sports a lot. I'm a big sports guy, um, like like a lot of people. And it's not that unique. Um, so a lot of times outside of work, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'll, you know, we'll go, we got really good sand dunes out here. If you don't know that in Oregon, some of the most premier sand dunes for riding sand quads and sand rails are out here. Um, you can actually ride sand dunes right on the ocean, which is pretty cool. Um, so that's anyway, my family went to that just, just last month. Um, and then fishing, fishing's pretty big out here. Um, you guys probably know that cause fishing's pretty big in New England too. Um, because you're on the ocean, right? So halibut and salmon. Obviously, salmon are probably one of the most known things for fishing out here. Um, there you go. That's a little bit about here. Work. Um, so work, you know, in, in, in my sphere, um, like I said, we're kind of high tech out here a little bit. Um, you know, they call it Silicon Forest um, is, you know, maybe the running undertone. Um, obviously, Silicon Valley down in San Francisco has got its own reputation. Um, a lot of high tech stuff around here. A lot of, uh, you know, uh, higher education stuff. Uh, a lot of our markets kind of live in that that atmosphere. Um, we obviously have general commercial that all exists, um, but if you were to say the niche of the market is a lot of, of high tech, a lot of semiconductor, a lot of biopharma, uh, biopharmaceutical, a lot of solar, um, a lot of high tech. I don't know if that answers. I mean, you sold you sold me on the area, so I might just have to come over. This this New England city kid. I just go eat all that vegan street food. Um, but, and, and I, I've, go ahead. No, I said fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm also an avid skier and an outdoorsy type guy. Um, part of the reason I moved further into New England from New York City was to be closer to a forest and bodies of water and ski mountains. But, when, when I ask that question, I also, I also think about the environment in the field and on site. And I find that when I ask the question about work-life balance, it's just inevitably and inherently better, if I can say that, um, in environments like you just described, where 
everyone's leaving to at four to go on a downhill mountain bike group thing or to go surfing or or have access to to that kind of mental freeing space and and talk about it when they are on site and it's very different than working on a high rise in new york city and getting on the subway to your apartment in brooklyn and waiting till the next day where you take the subway go right back to that that site and you're kind of in the craziness all the time which also may be true for any career in any industry in in certain cities um but do you see that that's kind of true where it, it makes it easier to have such a demanding job because your time off can be so fulfilling or is it the opposite? Is it harder to have that job because you know all those amazing things are at your doorstep? Um, good question. I don't think I want to, first of all, I'm gonna throw the caveat out. It doesn't make it easier, right? <laughs> Right. Um, I'm going to say it's equally as difficult whether you're in New York City. I mean, a tough job's a tough job, right? It really doesn't matter if you're in the middle of Nebraska or in New York or out here in, in the Portland, Oregon area. But um, I will say it breeds different cultures. Yes, people, you know, um, everybody has their escape. Um, and so I think it does help, right? It does help, um, you know. It does provide maybe a better avenue to get a much different, um, I don't know how to put it. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it just allows you to create to, to create two different worlds you get to live in, I guess maybe is where it helps, right? You have your work chaos, if you would. Um, and then you have your, hey, I'm just gonna pretend that I don't have a job, right? right I got a space I can go that kind of creates a little solitude whatever that means. Some people solitude at a racetrack, you know, watching cars zip around. Some people it's literally sitting in the middle of nowhere, listening to the birds chirp. So it just depends on what your solitude is. Um, but yeah, I would say a benefit of up here. And I would say most people, you know, we got lots of travelers that come up here too, from all over the U S to, to support work. And I would say they all appreciate that. Um, I think they appreciate the opportunity that there's things, there's a diverse amount of things to go do after work. You know, at the same time, they may sometimes we get worked hard enough you don't get to experience much of it. But um, when you do have the opportunity to experience it, it does perhaps provide a little, a little relief and maybe a little motivation. So I could see that could work. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I know from experience, the minute the the computer shuts on a Friday and I get in the car to go to Stowe, Vermont, and think about nothing besides skiing for three days it makes that Monday morning a bit easier, right? Um, there's yeah. there's no denying that um, whatsoever. Um, and we're we're almost at time here, but I wanted to kind of just, just kind of talk, allow you to say kind of where you're going next. Are you staying on the same project? Are you excited about a new project or what's going on with you in the next couple of months? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, only a funny <laughs> question because I'm the one getting asked. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of unique and a lot of the guys I work with are unique because we've been on the same job for 10 or 12 years and some people have been here 20, 25 years, same job sites, same, same client, same work. I mean, same work is probably too mundane, but the same project. So, I mean, I suppose until I choose to change, um, I will be here. Um, so where I'm headed is helping a client uh, achieve more market share in their, in their market space. Um, right, our job is to, to help get things installed so they can do that. Um, beyond that, though, like I said, I really think data, making sense of data, there's a lot of data we don't collect in construction that would be very useful to us. And also the reason we don't collect it is because, one, it's costly to collect, and two, I think a unique thing in construction in any uh, direct people business is we have to measure people. And when you're trying to collect data and measurement statistics on people, it's correlations. Because to your point, it could be a vacation that's upcoming and they're completely distracted and borderline useless for that week up to. It could be you know, people are people. It could be, I don't know, their dog died and they're, they got a week where just things just don't go right at home and they don't go right to work. 
um, kind of getting back to that work-life balance, you can't remove people's life from work. You can try to help um, guide it um, and, and put parameters around it to keep people safe. But the reality is people are people, and we know this. And so collecting data, there's just a whole bunch of data I think we can collect that we just don't make use of. Um, and I think that's where we're going. And I think planning is, uh, you know, I'm a huge planning advocate, as you guys know. Um, and I'd like to say that our company is a big planning advocate. We really, we really believe in planning. We believe it provides data. It provides a perspective. It provides an opportunity to think through something in an avenue that you don't always take the time to do. Um, and so I would hope as we move forward, we're going to get better at executing. We're going to be better at, you know, the, the current climate has introduced a whole new ball of wax to everybody. It's not just us, but the supply chain debacles and raw material issues and, and even um, the turnover of manpower, right? I mean, I do think in, to some degrees, the society is facing the, uh, you know, I've heard about it ever since I got into a career field is that the baby boomers are exiting and there's not enough backfill. There's a talent loss that's happening where it takes years to develop talent. And when, when there's a generational gap or you know, a shortcoming, if you would, I don't think it's a surprise. Anybody who's in a labor field right now is struggling for, for labor. You can't get it. And so I think we're, we're encountering some new problems that are going to provide more expertise, right? And more information and more data collection that's going to allow us to be better at what we do. So I would hope that we get better at what we do. That's my hope, right? I think that's cliche to say, but to remain in business and to remain successful, you have to get better at what you do. And I think to some degree, it's a positive to have these kinds of debacles and problems we're facing because it'll make us better. It'll force us to be better. Um, and that's sometimes is needed. Humans sometimes get comfortable. Change is, is a hard thing to accept as a human. And so myself, everybody, I would suspect at times needs to be propelled into change. And I think often we look back and go, you know, I'm glad I did that. So I would hope moving forward, we're going to find a way to be stronger as we come out and find ways to improve. And I think data is going to help. I really do. And speaking of better, I, I don't think I could plan a better way to, to end this, this conversation. And I just wanted to thank you guys. And as, as a partner of, of TouchPlay and Apollo, um, you guys have been awesome clients of ours and so helpful throughout the years. Um, you and, and others there. So thank you for not only doing that, but also jumping on today. Um, it was an absolute blast to, to talk about that and, and kind of put a lot of things in perspective. So thank you for jumping on. I know you have a ton of things to do today um, and I'll let you get back to them. But again, thank you so much. No, appreciate the opportunity to talk. It's uh, absolutely, it's a, it's a good industry we're in. I'm not going anywhere, but all right, man. Uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. And again, thank you so much.